You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, human beings? How are you doing? I am uh, chilling here, you know, on a beautiful Monday afternoon, just uh, trying to get back into the work week. And uh, I went to a show this weekend, which I'll tell you more about. But I want to tell you about the guest this week. This is a person who is deeply committed to independent music and the creation of it and touring with it. His name is Chris Teddy. He plays in a band called The World Is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die, which most people just call The World Is, dot, dot, dot. But um, he also is a co-owner of a recording studio called Silver Bullet Recordings um, based out of Connecticut. And uh, I've I, I've known of Chris for quite some time. Never met him. Never had a, a conversation with him. But I, I was excited when this got put on my desk to be like, "Hey, would you like to have Chris Teddy uh, on the show?" Because uh, the world is just released a amazing new record. That's my opinion. It's called Illusory Walls. Uh, just came out on Epitaph. And uh, check it out because you should listen to it. It's a really good one. But yeah, Chris is just an interesting dude, and uh, he seems to paint with a very broad musical brush, and uh, I was excited to dig in with him about that. So more on him in a moment, but you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. You can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I would appreciate that. I know you hear that day in and day out, and millions of other podcasts ask that, but um, yeah, I just would appreciate that. And also tell your friends, tell everybody that needs to know about this show, because that's the best way for this thing to uh, you know get more ear holes. So I went to a show this past weekend. I'm, I'm kind of dabbling, you know, just like dipping my toe in. Don't feel exactly comfortable going to like big shows yet, but um, you know, shows that are at our local venue, Chain Reaction, and or Program Skate Shop, which if you've not visited Program Skate Shop, they are doing the Lord's work, as far as I'm concerned, putting on really cool shows, you know, probably maybe about 70 or so kids at this particular event, but it was sold out. Koyo, Anxious, and a band called Ridgeway. I missed the first band, Labonte, but um, yeah, just a, a great show. So much fun to watch these bands, and especially... Uh, I like Ridgeway, don't get me wrong, they are on the up and up, but um, Koyo and Anxious, I love both of those bands immensely, and Anxious was awesome, really cool to see that, and then Koyo, they headlined, and uh, they're th- both of those bands are going to do big things, I think, next year, watching the crowd reaction to them, and just the way that people were interacting with them, it was really, really cool, so, you know. I am no person to tell you any sort of medical advice or anything like that. But as you feel comfortable, go out to some shows, you know, kind of just like get acclimated to it. But uh, it was really fun and it felt like no time passed whatsoever. So shout out to those bands and shout out to, um, yeah, Program Skate Shop. Just love what they do. So let's talk to Chris Teddy. Like I said, The World Is just released a new record on Epitaph. Uh, Go listen to it on your favorite streaming provider or you can buy vinyl. Um, Obviously, everybody has vinyl these days, which, um, you know, that's a whole different ball of wax where uh, I think I was reading that, uh, you know, Adele was pressing some ungodly amount of records because she's going to, you know, break some record sales, like actual vinyl sales. And then, uh, you know, everybody on social media is like, oh, cool. This is why my record takes like eight months to, you know, get a vinyl pressing of, which, um, you know, is the truth (laughs) and it's terrible and it sucks. But, um, you know, that's the wild world we live in. But anyways, here's Chris Teddy. Let's dive in. And I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over. Unbless yourself with love. 
I, uh, you know, I, I first heard World Is, uh, you know, in the early, I guess, tens, you would call it. I guess that sounds weird to say, but <laughs> the early yeah. tens. <laughs> and, you know, right from the rise of bands like, you know, The Hotel Year, Old Grey, like all of this, you know, I- interesting, introspective, emotive music. Like, I'm not going to call it Screamo because, you know, that's just a name that's been beaten into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the only thing that really um i i enjoyed the music and i really liked the presentation of what you guys were doing i know you you know joined the band a couple of years after they were had started mm-hmm. but something that was always really really tough for me to track was uh you know because the world is had 900,000 members and i couldn't tell what was like actually happening with the band at any given time mm-hmm. where it was like is is this like who's touring with the band? Like how is this kind of pieced together? Um, and uh, I, I'm gonna imagine my experience is not uh, unique from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So was it always weird as the band was evolving and adding members and losing people to kind of keep that uh, I guess public perception of like, well, we're still going to continue to create music. It's just going to be you know maybe different than what it was a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just funny that there's so much random misinformation out there um, that, like, it, it used to bug me, like, of, of, like, what the lineup was or anything like that, that I kind of reached a point where I was like, nah, it's kind of fun to just, like, read the wrong comments. Like I, I, like, I was looking at a forum yesterday, and someone insisted that I was so, so like, I mean, I produced like a lot of our material but someone was like oh actually i saw world is in chicago at the venue subterranean and chris actually was running the soundboard and not even playing that's like how invested into the production of the band he was and i was like that's not true but you know what i'm just gonna let it be out there because it's like almost funnier like for, for for that Sure. Random stuff. Like I saw people arguing whether I was in the band or not, like during the first LP and I was, I demoed it out with everybody. Like I, I recorded the demos and some, like someone was valiant, like just arguing like, no, he only played trumpet on it. He definitely wasn't in the band. And I was like, I had been in the band for a couple of years before that. Uh, but let's let it ride. Um, I mean, yeah, there's been like various changes, but I mean, definitely it's still like a similar, the same sort of core, like everybody in it has been in it um, since like 2012. Right. And everybody that's in it was on the first LP, whether, whether random kid on a forum wants to think that or not, you know, that's up to them. (laughs) But um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's been expanding and contracting lineups, but it's, especially with tours, you know, we'll just have people come with us like to play, we have people play strings or, um, horns. Uh, and it's just like the really fun part of the band is playing around with the arrangement of stuff, especially in the live context compared to the records or just like collaborating with other musicians, just cause like someone played trumpet on the record or, or, um, violin or something on the record doesn't mean that they had to be in the band. I mean, there's t- like, there seems to be this weird concept, like this weird thought I feel like with more like maybe with smaller bands, uh, like, or bands that kind of come from punk originally, maybe that like, Oh, 
at least in our realm, that like, oh, this person played on the record, but they're not in the band, or it, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like it's hard for people to comprehend that for us. Um, but I mean, it, it's been like lineup changes, but it's it, at the core, it's been pretty like pretty solidly similar, like mm-hmm. for for years now. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't you, know. I yeah, you're, you, you know, you're right. I mean, I, I think it is the. Uh, the transitory nature of honestly, like the, the collaborative environment, which you have built and has been there since the band's inception, Mm -hmm. you are going to have that idea that this, you know, this member is not a permanent touring member, but like, Oh great. They can come out with us for three weeks on the East coast or whatever. Mm -hmm. And to your point, it does definitely distinctly tie itself to punk and hardcore where it's like, oh yeah, you've got a four or five piece. And if you fall outside of that, you know, it's like, I mean, three pieces are weird, you know? So people are like, Mm -hmm. oh, what the hell? Like, how's this happen? And so, yeah, to your point of like, once you expand it bigger than your traditional five piece, that's when it may get, um, you know, confusing for us, uh, you know, simpletons. I'm joking around, (laughs) but just that idea of like, oh yes, like, it's tough to track when you have, uh, you know, this, this, uh, not, and not even intentional, but like, you know, veil of secrecy where it's like, well, this is just what we're doing for this run of dates. So I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, we, after our first LP, like we had done, like we, we had done shows with a spoken word artist, uh, Christopher Junes is Amia is a friend of ours who originally from Connecticut. And we were, we were doing spoken word stuff on, uh, like a week or two run on the East coast. And later that turned into doing an EP with that artist, but that wasn't like, Oh, the band is just this now. It was like, well, that's just the release. Like like every release for a band like world is, is just like, uh, we're just trying new things. And there's like a growth that happens with everything. It's like, uh, it's not supposed to be exactly the same. Yeah. Um, Even sound wise. So sure. No. And I, I think that, that also adds to the idea of it, it being difficult to track a band through the evolution. If it's like, well, we're not going to be solely this thing and only stick to this, you know, more formulaic approach, even though at the core of it, we're always still, you know, pl- playing off the same tree, so to speak. We're just exploring different branches. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, I think it's hard for people to, to, to process, at least for us, that there's not only one core songwriter. It's sure. always like different people contributing to it. So it's, it's not like, I don't know, Green Day or something where you're like, okay, the guitarist writes all this stuff and that's it. And not like all of it, but like most of it. And that's like the face of the band. And that's that we call it a day there, but you know. Right. Well, and also just that idea too, where I always found it I mean, it makes sense from bands of a certain level, but I always found it really sort of weird when it was like a a band member joined at a later, I mean, you saying Green Day, where it's like when they had, you know, when they had the other guitarist who was not known and they're just like, oh yeah, we'll put him backstage because he needs to fill it out or whatever. And like so many bands, so many bands have done that. And it's just been like, I mean, I guess because they're not like a member, so to speak, but it just feels weird to put a person backstage play guitar or whatever. Yeah, maybe that's where we messed up. We should have we should have put you know the horn section in the the green room, <laughs> right? And then people are just constantly confused, like where the hell is brass coming from? This is weird. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But no, it's just like they're on tour with us. It's fun. Like they're part of it too. It's part of the show. Like it's yeah. Fun. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. So, 
putting the, the focus on you as a person, uh, were you actually born and raised in Connecticut? Because I know that clearly that's like where the studio is and, you know, where the band is theoretically from. Even yeah. It lives all over the place. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was yeah born and raised in Connecticut. I'm the only one in the band who still lives in Connecticut because um, everybody's kind of moved around at this point, but I've been there, you know, because I have, uh, I work at Silver Bullet Studios uh, with Greg Thomas and, you know, it's not, it, Connecticut's fine. You know, it's in between Boston and New York. Um, but so I have no complaints there. Um, works out well for the studio, but, um, yeah, yeah. Born and raised in Connecticut. Um, but it's, it's funny cause I've definitely spent much less time in Connecticut, uh, for the past 10 years than most people I know, just because with all the like, different touring and traveling because of that. Um, even playing shows, I rarely ever get to play Connecticut. I think I've played Germany more times than Connecticut in the past like ten years. You you <laughs> you completely you know <laughs> spoke to the experience that like I I do think Connecticut is so interesting because bands that tour like they I mean yes at one point there was you know obviously the LNG Club and you know mm-hmm. the Tune In and like there are shows that happen in Connecticut but it definitely. S- seems like nothing sprouted up long term from an all ages perspective besides like you know your obvious house shows and vfw halls and stuff like that so it is weird how that happened yeah yeah i think because of i I used to get mad about this when i was younger but it's like it's so close to boston and new york and then you and providence so it's like uh, gets kind of skipped over i see why unfortunately um but i mean i still i still like the state like uh, there's a lot of cool bands that have come from there. And I, I think anytime, you know, we've come across someone from Connecticut, like while on a tour or something, there's a little bit of a bonding experience, you know, like, Oh, we're from this small state that like, you know, the first time I was in Europe, people didn't even know it was a state. Like, they were like Oh, where are you from? And like Connecticut. They're like, where is that? It's like, I don't expect you to know. Like, obviously like that's fine. It's a small state. Uh, no, no, like not mad about that at all. But right. definitely like a little bit of a like drive you drive through it and stop for gas on your way from your New York show to your Boston show. I like totally understandable. Yeah, that's true. Cause yeah, I mean, I think in my touring experience, yeah, I only played two, maybe two or three shows in Connecticut, but it was mm-hmm. always. Yeah, it, it, it exactly to your point where it's like, oh, if you're playing these other places, like, why not just do a show there? Because it'll most likely be a little bit larger than, you know, playing stores, Connecticut or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And there, there's definitely been like cool shows that have come through Connecticut, but they've definitely been like, yeah, smaller, like VFW Hall shows. There, there's a couple like cool venues in Connecticut for sure. But um, I feel like more like punk hardcore stuff has you know had it's like spots for shows for a few years here and there in connecticut but they they just all kind of come and go like you mentioned tune in and then there there was uh the longford american legion for years which that is back but it's it's a little different now um but i mean it's definitely like it's where a lot of bands that i like are from like with honor ambitions life in your way uh, hate breeds from connecticut uh like there's a, there's a ton of, there's like a ton anxious is from Connecticut, more, a little more current, um, band. Uh, so there's definitely cool stuff from the state, but I feel like a lot of those bands started touring, uh, pretty quick, like even hostage Com, make do and mend. Uh, they all kind of were focused out of state pretty fast, which sure. is 
fair. I mean, that's part of being a touring band. You don't want to just play your hometown every two months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And what was your uh, family structure like? Mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? Uh, only child uh, with uh, mom and dad, like married. Uh, but I guess I, 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 because I was an only child, I feel like I didn't get to interact with kids as much uh, outside of school. Um, I ended up like at home a lot and... I don't really ever have like friends come over at all. Um, like when I was like growing up, I would it, later on, I would go to other friends' houses, but I didn't really have any siblings to like show me bands. Like, I feel like I have a lot of friends who are like, Oh, my older brother played in a band and then showed me all these cool records. I, di- I didn't really have that. I just would meet later met in like high school, like kids who are a little older than me. And that was like, almost like the replacement for like an older brother or sister who would, who would, who would show me cool stuff, I guess. Um, yeah. but I mean, I grew up in a town called Berlin, which is the exact center of the state, which I mean, um, let me think, uh, Greg Horble who played in world is for quite a number of years. Um, he's, we went to high school together. We played in a band called my heart to joy uh, for a few years and the drummer from that band, his name is Alan Huck. He plays in self-defense family. We went to, he was in my grade. We grew up together. Um, so it was like a few people who actually made it out of that town and got into like bands that were touring or, or booking and stuff like that. And like our kind of vague world, um, which is cool. Um, but I feel like I didn't I, I didn't really have many friends who were into music up until like later in middle school or early high school. That's when I started finding more bands. Like my dad had a CD burner in his desktop computer. Oh hell and, dude. That that I mean, once you had that, that was like game over. Yeah, yeah. So like I, I made a couple friends in middle school who their parents would let them get CDs. My parents were like, Oh, the CD's like twenty or thirty dollars at like Circuit City. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Um, so it's few and far between that I get a CD, but I started burning CDs. I guess music piracy is how I got into yeah, like tape. music. It's okay. Mixtapes, mixtapes, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, like I, I, I ended up making a, making friends because they, you know, give me CDs to burn for a friend of theirs, and I'd make a copy for myself. So you know, I'd get like Deftones, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, stuff like that just just through that i guess it was you know like more popular stuff but it was like a jumping off point for sure and i definitely like gravitated more towards the punk hardcore some like more like i guess also metal leaning stuff overall um through that but definitely music piracy (laughs) mixtapes well it, it's i mean honestly it's i'm like 12 so. yeah right you're, that honestly that was like your social currency that was mm-hmm. the ability for you to be able to you know make friends kind of you know build your identity is like oh chris is the music guy like he totally has all this you know stuff dialed in and you would be able to you know hook people up and i i think that's a very valuable service yeah yeah it was nice yeah i mean and then through that i i got into guitar it was like the only thing i really cared about like 
you know, I'd get, I'd get like, I'd try to just look up details about any of these bands online. Like all, I would just love to look up the history of where these bands came from, like what their background was. And then, you know, it turned into, Oh, I want to learn their songs on guitar. And, you know, in high school made friends, um, you were, you know, we were all play shows together. There was quite a few bands in my high school. I was in marching band. So that's really how I met like a lot of the older kids in high school, more like the sophomores, juniors, seniors. I, I, I mean, I had friends in my own grade, but like much less so. Mm-hmm. I feel like I gravitated more towards like everyone who was like a couple years older and would like drive to shows and, um, you know, they'd recommend me bands and they, they'd, they'd be able to rent out the local like VFW hall. Cause they were like 16 or 17, um, rather than, you know, like 14, 15 that even though it's like a, cu- a couple year difference, you know, the, what you're able to access is pretty, it, it, there's a, there's a big difference there, you know, being able to drive 20 minutes outside of your town, or you could ride your bike five minutes down the road. There's, you know, I wasn't going to ride my bike. I had no way to ride my bike to like a venue. There was no. nothing like that near me. So right. I had right. to rely on people to take me outside of the town. Sure. Well, yeah, you were, you were looking at the uh, potential, uh, you know, upward mobility. I mean, clearly you wouldn't have been able to articulate it as such, but just, just that idea that, oh, if I hang out with these people, like the world opens up a little bit more for me. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, my high school friends group, they, were, they definitely shaped like my music taste, especially Alan Huck from Self-Defense Family. He would give me MP3 CDs and that's how I found like Dillinger Escape Plan, Minor Threat, um, oh, Jawbreaker, um, Fear Before the March of Flames. Uh, what else? Just like tons, tons of stuff. Um, tragedy, um, a- anything like in Park and Hardcore. He he like got it to me. Like and right. that that really helped shape it a lot. And um, that was twice. And I appreciate you saying that because that was actually something that I have been interested in for you as well. Because you know the world in the world is, you know, has a musical lineage that can you know be traced to all of the you know the screamo stuff like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But then you know you, as far as sharing your own personal music taste, you, you know it, it varies widely. And I know that a lot of people have that, but just that idea that like, oh yes, I'm a vegan straight edge kid listening to Earth Crisis. And of course I can also listen to, you know, the quote unquote weakest band possible or whatever. Like, whereas mm-hmm. I think a lot of other people, especially as they're kids and and being able to discern their music taste, you kind of stick in one lane where it's like, oh, I'm a hardcore kid or I'm a, you know, Liberty Spike kid or what have mm-hmm. you. And it doesn't seem like you did that. Yeah, not really. I mean, I definitely had moments where like, it'd be for like a couple weeks. I was like, I'm really into Orchid and Seisha. Um, And but but then like, you know, I equally be like, uh, into something drastically different. uh, You know, but like, oh, I found this, you know, I found this tragedy record. Oh, I found uh, someone showed me a Radiohead record or um, it's like a pretty wide, wide span of stuff or Appleseed cast or something. And I was just, I just pretty much wanted to listen to anything I could. I think because I didn't have much access to music that much as a kid, I had a couple CDs, but once I was able to, I just, I was like anything. I just want to hear anything. Is it, is it hip hop? Is it hardcore? Is it metal? Is it just acoustic music? 
I just, is it classical? Like, I just want to know, like my first CD was like a Mozart CD because I played Mozart in the second grade play. I don't remember ever trying out for it, but I was the lead in my second grade play. So I had like a couple classical CDs and I thought that was sick. Or, um, uh, I had a guitar teacher very briefly in high school who, he gave me a bunch of like weird, like seventies prog stuff like yes. And Mahuvishnu orchestra. And I just loved it. I loved it just as much as I loved Metallica and Slayer, but just as much as like um, Alanis Morissette or Third Eye Blind or something. I just, anything I could get my hands on, I I just would try to find a reason why I liked it or disliked it. Like it, it'd have to be like a very justified reason, but I found that I liked stuff all across the board. Yeah, which, which is really cool because I, I do think that that, and especially if you don't feel uh, judged by, you know, the particular scenes of going to shows and you're just like, oh, yeah, I can go to, a, you know, an Oregon show just as equally as I can go to, you know, see a straight edge hardcore show or whatever. Like, because a lot of times people feel maybe uncomfortable going to one or the other because there's that like, oh, this person, you know, isn't wearing the typical uniform of the show or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, there was definitely moments where I felt that, you know, but. I just, yeah, I, I feel like I had to let go of that pretty fast because I had friends who listened to like a wide variety of stuff. So I'd have like a couple in high school, I'd have a couple of friends who were like very into the garden state indie boom of the two thousands. But then I had other friends who were obsessed with the more screamo or punk stuff, but they, I felt I would always ask them like their opinions on bands. Cause they'd always have like well justified reasons why they liked it. And I would find that common ground. I feel I, I was just, it was just like a general love of music, less so of what is my image exactly. I mean, I, in high school, I mean, I definitely had some, I I remember getting some have heart and what was it? It was, it was a single order that I got that had, I got a couple have heart shirts and I got seven angel seven plates. And I remember like, friend so, some some of my friends being like oh what is have harley is that a macho hardcore band what is this like seven angels that like metalcore what is this like and i was like i they're both like i guess heavier in some regard or more aggressive but i i find that both i love both of them you know um and later got to work with pat flynn uh, and sean costa on a few fiddlehead records now but um i don't know it's it's it was it was pretty varied musical taste growing up. I just anything I could do, right? I just shove, wanted it. shove it all in your head. No, that's really cool. Yeah, which I guess shows it like in world is we'll, we'll we'll have a wide range of of styles, but I'm fine with that. I I don't want to play into just oh it's this is just emo. No, I I like that, but I also like other stuff, and I I love production of all types. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I definitely think it it speaks to the band's experience, and then you know your production stuff as well. You don't you don't bring just one flavor uh, to the table, which is, which is cool and admirable. Yeah. I guess it's almost like th- whatever I'm feeling that day. Right. And you know what I mean? It's just like everybody has different moods and I feel like I go through different, and I think like general music lovers also feel that way too. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never gelled with just, I only listen to this one genre and that's it. And I want to be, an elitist about it. That's like not my thing. Our friends at rockabilia.com have so much stuff for you to look at. So first of all, go to their website, rockabilia.com. Second of all, 
Use this promo code 100 words or less that gets you 10% off your order, but they are completely ready for the holiday season and for you to buy all of the gifts at one place and then to get a discount on it. It is a win, win, win scenario for everybody involved. You, the bands, because all this stuff is officially licensed, high quality merchandise, and uh, it ships to you right away. It's it's just an amazing site. <laughs> Every time I go on there, there's a whole new experience in regards to new merch, new items. They have they they say they have over half a million items, but I personally believe it's well over that. So go buy your dad a Led Zeppelin shirt. Go buy your brother or sister a new My Chemical Romance hoodie. Whatever it is, they are into. They have it, and it is it's it's a great place. So rockabilly.com. 100 words or less gets you 10% off the order, and you will be able to claim that and look so cool as you're giving all these gifts underneath the Christmas tree or whatever other, you know, tree you are doing to celebrate some non-denominational holiday. But uh, regardless, give a gift that keeps on giving band merch. Rockabilly.com. Thank you. So when you started to, you know, become more exposed to the Mm -hmm. independent music world and start to kind of formulate the idea of like what it's like to putting put on a show and everything like that were you immediately taken by the idea of playing in a band or was that a longer uh lead time for that no i just like immediately was like i want to play in a band and there i ended up playing in a couple different bands in high school that were like varying styles like they were drastically different uh one was like heavier one was more like kind of just like rock punk I, I you know when you're in high school it's hard because like when you form a band you're like i have a friend who plays drums and they only like this usually it's like they only like this style or i have a friend who plays bass all right cool just throw them all in and you know whatever <laughs> it's just like uh uh it's just like yeah you just you're you're limited by the proximity you know it's like people from your school you're like well i don't care if you are into ska like we could probably find some common ground here like just play out yeah 100 percent. and you know i you know i'm still friends with the people that i played in bands with in high school and stuff um but yeah i feel like yeah i once once i started getting in i was just like i want to play guitar like that's what i want to do i i I just want that. I had gotten a couple Metallica DVDs. They had the year and a half in the life of the recording of the black album. I saw that and I was like, Oh, I'd never seen a studio. And so that was like part of it too. I was like, I really want to record, but I, this is my only frame of reference is like that. But I was just, I would just watch that stuff every day. Um, like cliff, I think it was cliff them all. And then year and a half in the life of, and a couple other DVDs. I would just constantly just have those on repeat. That's the only exposure I had for that stuff outside of going to a show every month or two um, in in Connecticut. But I that kind of like I guess even the Metallica DVD kind of sparked the oh like recording could be a thing too. I, I was going to say it. It seems like especially with your trajectory of you know doing demos so early with you know, all of your musical projects and bands and stuff that both of these ideas traveled in tandem with each other like oh i can record stuff and then obviously play in bands as well yeah that it was very much so that i i i just wanted to learn like anything to be involved with it um whether it was you know i i want to record a demo for a a friend's band or i want to play guitar in a band with my friends or even 
playing one song with a friend's band live. Oh, they're going to do a Black Flag cover. I'll I'll play guitar on it just for that one song. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I think it was pretty much like really like the jumping off point for me in the end, like right out of high school, because was um, I joined a band called My Heart to Joy, and that was like my high school friends group. Um, and they were on top shelf records and immediately I started touring with them, like my freshman year of college, like I played out of the state, like once in my life. And then I joined the band and it was, Oh, we're going to go on a four week full U S tour. Uh, we're booking it on MySpace. Okay. I'm down. Let's just go. Um, th- that really like jump started it like for real Sure. from, from, from just being like, yeah, I played in a couple bands. I own a guitar. I am interested in this stuff, but I don't know how to get there. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's like, that's like the real like starting point. I feel like for me, for, for when it became real. Yeah. There, there is something more tangible. And so how were your, you know, presumably I'm guessing your, your parents were like, what the hell is this stuff Chris is getting into? Or were they pretty permissive? I know. I mean, speaking of as an only child as well, I know that as long as you're kind of, towing the line of responsibility you might have gotten generally left alone uh what what was your parents reactions to you getting into all this stuff um i mean it definitely my mom wasn't happy at all she definitely didn't really want me to play guitar i she was fine with me playing trumpet in like marching band and stuff Mm -hmm. but i in high school and i only really did that because i wanted to be involved in music in some capacity uh, and that was like the first instrument she'd really let me get. So I was like, oh, I can be in school band. Okay, I'm part of music. That's fine. But like she she was very adamant about you. Like um, she's very adamant on I don't like the guitar. I don't like you playing it. And our only like common ground was Van Halen. My mom and dad love Van Halen like. Uh, they had seen them in the eighties and stuff. And that was like where, where they were like, that's okay. We don't like the black Sabbath cassette tapes, but we're okay. If he likes Van Halen or something like that, or, uh, Bon Jovi or something, but they, they were definitely really weirded out when I was like, I'm leaving for four weeks. And they're like, where? And I was like, (laughs) they're like, where are you going? And like, they're like, I was like, Oh, I mean like everywhere. Like I guess a lot of major cities, and they couldn't comprehend that I wasn't like driving to like LA to do like American Idol or something. Right. My sure. grandmother was just like, my grandmother on my dad's side was like, I came back from the tour and actually for many tours, she'd just go, did you win? And I'd be like, what, win what? What did, what would I win? And she was like, on this, she, she just like thought that if I came back from a tour, I'd come back from a millionaire. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, the tour was good. And I was like, I don't, you know, it was like very weird, but I mean, my parents were definitely not happy. It was only okay to them, I think, because they had met a couple people in My Heart to Joy because they were at my high school friends. And they were like, well, if Greg's parents are okay with it, then you can go, but you have to stay in school. And if I stayed in college, it was like, okay, but it, they weren't, they didn't love it. They didn't love it. And they thought it was like a thing that I'd grow out of. So I think part of it was, We'll let him go on this. He'll fuck. He'll probably hate it and be done with it and become like a cashier at a, a bank or something. I don't know. Um, you know, 
Um, but right. move, it was move definitely on weird. To something real, right? Yeah. yeah, because like my mom, her when I was growing up, a friend of hers uh, had a, a son that was in a band in Connecticut, and he would compete in those like battle of the band things. Those like very scammy like battle of the bands or compete yeah or like oh you're gonna we're gonna call in at this radio station and vote for the best local band and she was always like well he didn't make it why are you gonna make it and i was like well i don't know if that was the right way to go about it uh right like this is not the same path we're traveling on here (laughs) yeah i was like well you play at a bar and like a cover band it's a little different you know um i'm just gonna do it uh but yeah wow that's that i mean that is a very specific reaction i mean especially your your grandmother's reaction to like <laughs> thinking you won on tour i've ne- i've literally never heard that and that's incredible yeah it's it's wild i mean my parents have never seen me play a show past probably the age of 17 really um, interesting yeah they don't really like i don't i mean like my relationship with them is fine i guess i i talk to them every now and then uh right. they're like cool they're fine but I, they don't really know much about what I do. I got it hit a point where I was just like, uh, I'm just leaving. <laughs> like, you know, it just it it wasn't worth explaining. Like when I when I first joined My Heart to Joy, I remember I gave my dad a, a vinyl test press. I was like, I want you to have this. This is like awesome. We're like on a record label. This was like 2009, right? And I, I was going to invite him to come to a show, and he didn't see. He was like, well, that's cool. All right. And I, I just was like, eh, never mind. <laughs> I'm just not going to bother. It's just kind of like my own. I, I like that it's it's separate. I like to keep those parts of my life separate. Sure. Right. And especially too, where it's like you explaining the context and it's still kind of falling with a thud is like, well, okay, like this, you're never going to understand this. And that's fine. <laughs> we just, we'll just keep on keeping on. Yeah, and I, I, I've tried to tell them, I tried to tell my parents, like, you know, I'm straight edge and vegan, so that means that I actually try to eat vegetables, and I don't smoke or drink. But, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think they found it too amusing, because, you know, like, grow up my hair, got tattoos, kind of living out of a van wasn't really the thing they wanted they wanted you know the typical get married a little bit after college have some kids and call it a day right yeah they're like yeah you're doing these good things but then you're doing all these bad things and we don't understand this chris like follow the lines bro (laughs) yeah yeah like um i yeah it's definitely it's definitely crazy i my mom i like all right so i got in a bad car accident in 2010 okay um and that was after being in My Heart to Joy for like a couple years and doing touring and stuff like that. And I had started working or I started interning at Silverboat Studios with Greg Thomas. So I got in a pretty bad car accident. And coincidentally, right after that, I started growing out my hair. And my mom still is kind of like, ever since that car accident, you've changed. There's something wrong with you. Cause because I just kept doing what I was doing. If that makes like she I just didn't stop the like touring in bands or, or recording bands or anything to them. It's uh get a real job still. It's like, when are you going to get a real job? Like you, you went to college. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Right. But I feel like that gives me a little more drive to succeed. Cause I, I, I feel like if they were too, if they were too accepting, I would have been like, Oh, I guess I did it. 
cool. They're impressed. We're done. Yep, totally. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this uh, all right, mission accomplished. Yeah. And so as you started to get out there and tour, like I know, like you mentioned, you mm-hmm. know, My Heart to Joy and, you know, putting out records and that was ostensibly what I can gather, like your first serious band that, you know, had uh, momentum, I guess, and a reason yep. to kind of get out there. Did you immediately enjoy the touring aspect or was that something that you, I guess, as you started to experience, you learned to enjoy it more? Immediately loved it. It was, it was what I wanted to do a hundred percent. Um, it, they were my favorite band at the time. Uh, it's kind of like the Henry Rollins thing where he joined his favorite band at the time. I guess that was Black Flag and immediately just started touring. And that was exactly like what I wanted out of it. And we were just playing like basement shows and anything. If there was 10 kids there, whatever, I was stoked. That was like more kids than maybe saw my high school band. Right. Um, oh, we're in Buffalo, New York playing like a smelly basement. There's 10 people here. That's amazing. Um, I mean, that summer was like a huge jumping off point in 2009, the first touring I did with them. Uh, we, I remember we played a basement show with Camadre. We played what was, it was supposed to be Loma Prieta's last show. Uh, I believe they were losing a guitarist and they were going to end the band. And we played what they billed as their last show. And I remember... Greg Horble, I think it was him, our guitarist from My Heart to Joy, was like, why don't you just get another guitarist? Like, why you're just ending it? And they were like, I guess we could just go do it. Oh, yeah. And and I saw, like, soon after they kind of, like, reformed and stuff like that or, or kept it going. But, I mean, yeah, and uh, I met – we met Law Dispute that summer through just a random MySpace message. We would just look up bands – on MySpace and just message them. Be like, oh, punk band, screamo band, post-rock band in whatever town, Grand Rapids, Fargo, North Dakota, whatever it was. And we played at uh, the house where a couple members of Law Dispute lived. And I remember we didn't know like anything about Law Dispute. We were like, I don't know, there's some band that we messaged on MySpace that said they liked our record. And we knew something was up when they were like, yeah, we recently got back from a tour in Australia. And we did this and we were like, excuse me? you could do that right. from this. Like, you know, um, I mean, that summer, I, there's still people from that summer that, you know, we're loosely associated with. You know, La Dispute is on Epitaph. Uh, we played shows with Touche Amore. Uh, Pianos Become the Teeth. Um, yeah, there, just, there was like a ton of bands. Uh, this one I met Hostage Com and Make Do and Mend. Um, yeah, I just loved it. Like, right out the gate, I was just like, full in that's what i wanted to do i didn't want to be in school i don't i didn't care about it it was just there to like pleasing parents and like the typical american family thing life path stuff sure right and and, uh, something i find interesting too specifically with um more the world is than maybe your previous experiences. Like, uh-huh. i i think there's this real push and pull with uh those distinct you know communities of diy music of once you start to be more for lack of a better term professional like you know just the notion of being like oh we're going to play in a stage now and obviously in the small insular communities it's kind of like oh geez i don't know about that like you guys are playing on a stage like you know oh yeah and and so i i'm gonna guess that you not only experienced that as you started to progress but um you know I, i guess how did that uh all kind of sit in your head as you were kind of progressing with the band. Um, so I guess 
with my heart to joy, I remember we hated playing on stages. We we played at Yukon in stores. We played with real estate. I think it was real estate and Vivian Girls. And they had oh, this okay. big they had this big stage set up at the at the college. It was it was put it was a show put on by the college in one of their like student buildings. And it was, you know, a nice stage set up, sound monitors, the whole nine. And we were like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. That's like kind of corny. Like, that's not like our thing. We'll like play on the floor. And I remember there was like a huge ordeal. Like the people booking the show were like, why don't you just play on the stage? And we're like, why would we play on the stage? That's corny. Um, that's lame. And you know, I came, we came from that. You know, we, when we played it, we were like, why are we three, three feet above everybody? Like, this is just weird. But, I feel like I, I, after just doing it, I just learned to let go. I was just, I was just like, you know what? A lot of my favorite bands do this. Why am I, oh, I'm too good to do these things. Why am I taking this for granted? What's the, what's the point? And I mean, with World Is, I mean, we came from playing basements and BFW halls and stuff, but right. it was, it was definitely like, it was with that band. We, we toured a decent amount before we went like full time touring, but it was very zero to 60 on going into real like starting to play real venues um we did in 2013 is like when everything really picked up um before our first lp came out and we went from playing just you know whatever basements maybe a small bar venue but i wouldn't it's like oh a hundred cap venue where the stage is like three inches tall maybe there's two monitors to we did um a support tour we did a week or two it was a finch 10-year anniversary tour with the almost oh sure and so i remember getting to chicago and we played met metro i think that's what it's called mm-hmm. and we hadn't really ever played places like that even with my heart to joy and we toured a lot but we didn't play anything like that and i remember getting to the venue and people were like unloading our stuff from our van and i was like no i can i can grab my amp what are you doing and there's like venue loaders that they asked us what we wanted in our monitor mix. We're like, I don't know. Like sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, what do you mean? Like, I don't know what I want. And it was very awkward. It was, it, we, we, we learned, you know, later on, but I remember that everybody looking at each other for someone to say something and just going, I don't know, I guess vocals. Uh, sure. It was like very nervous. We didn't know what to do. Um, and, you know, we, it, there was, so there was that tour playing like thousand, 2000 cap rooms. And later that year we, we toured with brand new and then Caspian. Um, and those were all like real venues. We, it was, even though we had been touring for like a, quite a few, like a three or four years, there was like foreign to us and it, it just kind of broke you of like, yeah, this is fine. This is, I have to shed yeah, this. Yeah, this is normal. Yeah, like, oh, I'm too punk for this. No, 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 no. Like that, it's fine. Like, stop thinking about that kind of thing. You know, it's like a very, you like very pretentious about it. And there's some sort of mindset that's like, oh, if that person, if you're actually successful at music, it's a bad thing. Uh, which, right. yeah. Yeah, there's like a breaking point. I think there's a breaking point where, um, say there's like a smaller band people are like this should be the biggest band in the world. This band should be the biggest band ever. And once they hit that point of, Oh, they're doing like package tours. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, they have a booking agent now. Nah, like 
no, thank you. That's, that's, what do you mean? They, they like sold out, but like you're, you're getting paid like a hundred dollars a night to drive like eight hours across Texas. Yep. <laughs> like I, I, you're not rich, you know? And we had, we had a whole thing. Our first, the first time we went to Europe, kids were messaging us pissed off that we had someone booking the tour. And we were like, are we going to fly to Europe and risk tens of thousands of dollars with like rentals, dr- uh, someone to drive us, um, uh, flights, uh, food, everything. So we could do a tour where maybe we made like 50 euros in a night. It's not realistic. Like people were like, you guys sold out. I can't believe you would have a booking agent who's asking for like a hundred euros or something. And I was like, okay, this is just so we can cover the cost. We're probably just going to break even and not work for three weeks. So, right. <laughs> No, I, I mean, I, I appreciate you laying that out because I do think it, it, it it's there's this different version of what, you know, bands in the early 90s were being labeled as sellouts because they licensed their music to a commercial, whereas like now, no one would bat an eye for that. And so just that notion of a band is only allowed to get as big as I personally deem them. And then if they cross that imaginary line, then they're not cool anymore in my eyes. And then to your point, you're just like, well, I can literally show you the receipts of where I'm making negative $4. Like, you really going to call me a sellout? Like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, like I left for a tour that we did with Me Without You. We started it in Seattle. I left with 14 cents in my bank account. And I lived <laughs> I, I lived off of um, Taco Bell Feed the Beat for the two or three weeks that we were out. That's like all I ate. And maybe right. if there was like some bread or hummus at the venue. Like, I wasn't rolling in it. I was just scraping by. Yeah, for sure. And it's easy for a, you know, 15 year old kid who lives at home to have these really, really distinct opinions about a world that they only have, you know, a very minimal level of knowledge about. Yeah. And it's it's just like those few people that it sticks out. You can see 100 comments about a record being great or something being great. And you see two comments that are like, maybe middle of the road or slightly negative. And you're like, I hate that person. I hate username blink fan 87 like on this forum he said this record like we're sellouts i hate you (laughs) totally yeah the vote the vocal minority is always going to be the one you pay attention to and it's like why why is human nature always going to pull me towards that i wish i could just ignore it but i can't yeah yeah but i mean we we quickly realized that like no this is like part of it and if you want to do that do you want to be a band that's touring or, or recording records consistently it's fine it's fine to have like a buyout at a venue and a booking agent like that's right fine (laughs) yeah a support system yeah exactly and i guess on that notion too like as you started to you know matriculate through the different uh record labels that you were working with and now you've been working with epitaph for the past you know four or five years or so um was as people that understandably maybe didn't know about the band and the scene that you guys kind of came from. Do you feel there was a little bit of a, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, like education mm-hmm. process to some people who were coming out to shows and being like, Oh, I just found out at you guys because I, you know, I heard your thing on the social media of epitaph or whatever. Did you find people kind of getting drawn to you that didn't have that touch point? Like just like finding, finding us on their own. 
are saying? Yeah, or- exactly. Like, or I'm saying finding pe- like you know people who were paying attention to Epitaph and all the stuff that you know they do, and then finding out about your band, but not having any context for where you guys are coming from. Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. And but and I mean that was like fine. I mean it was definitely a little weird. I there was definitely like we would get we were definitely weird the first tour or so when people were even trying to get us to sign records. Like we thought that was like a rock star thing. Right. You know, it was like what do you well we're like Metallica or something like I'm going to sign this record in a basement <laughs> in New Jersey. But yep. I mean, there's definitely yeah there's definitely people who like found us because, because yeah, they didn't have any context of what the bands around us or anything like that. But that, I guess it was like a little weird sometimes, but I didn't, it didn't really bother. None of that really bothered me or anything like that, I guess. Like, right. You're meeting people where they're finding you. Yeah. I I always actually, I actually find it interesting. uh, People's like backgrounds musically for, maybe even how they view us or um, like what their gauge is, like what might be punk to someone else isn't to another or, or, or I don't, I don't know, like people just being like, Oh, I saw you toured with um, like, there was like people coming to our basement shows. They were like, I saw you cause he toured with Finch. I've never been to a basement show before. Um, which is great. Or, yeah. Which is, which is cool. And like, um, yeah, I mean, I think when, we signed Epitaph. There's probably like people who found us out because of that. But that, I mean, I feel like at that point it was like, that was like the goal. It was like, Oh, we want to be on a label. with like a bigger reach. So none of, of that was like necessarily weird to me. It was, I definitely noticed it, but sure. Sure. That, yeah, that was the goal where it's like, you could bring, you know, people that didn't have any of the, like, you know, being super fans of top shelf and being like, Oh, I, of, of course I already know about this band. It's like, Oh yeah, we want to, you know, hit people that, might be really big fans of thrice because they probably like what we're doing too yeah yeah i mean yeah for sure and i think i I think a lot by the time we would have signed to epitaph and we signed at the end of 2014 i think it wasn't really announced until uh, a few months into 2015 but by that point we had already talked to a bunch of different labels i it already i was already broken i'd already been broken of any Right. weird stigma because you know we met we met with a bunch of different labels and and i i i actually kind of had like a little bit of a mental breakdown kind of thing on a tour of just like we were meeting with all these different labels and like they didn't get it like they didn't understand us and i could yeah. tell oh you just saw that the record we just put out last year is selling well and like there's people coming to our shows we're just like a commodity you do this every week like you have meetings with bands all the time. There was definitely like a labor or two we were at and you'd see on their calendar, Oh, go to this show, go to this show, meet with this band. And I was like, Oh, this is like, this is all new to us. But to you, this is just like the wheels are in motion. You know, it's just going by you every day. A band stops in LA or whatever. Oh, you're going to go to their show and try to schmooze them kind of thing. Um, I, you, you, I don't know. I, I definitely like, I, I remember calling my studio partner, Greg Thomas and, and, just I think we were in Texas and I was like, dude, we just met with like three or four labels. I fucking hate this. Like I, I don't trust any of these people. I could tell that like, they don't come from where we came from at all. This like is feels almost predatory in some way. If that makes sense. Like, like 
you don't they, they don't understand the context of where we're coming from or actually anything about the music they they probably heard like two songs because someone said you can make money off this band or something and i remember talking to him and then i i think i talked to ryan morgan from misery signals uh briefly just because i knew that they went through like they had been on ferret and they had to me that was like i I thankfully I had a few friends who had been on record labels before and like done the whole thing like years previous to me. So I, I tried to get their insight. I think I hit up a couple friends uh, that play in a band called Life in Your Way and uh, and a few different bands like that just to get their opinion on stuff. So by the time we signed Epitaph, I had already like we we gelled with them immediately, but I had already been broken of any like weird yeah <laughs> stigma stuff. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate you sharing that because I do think it does when you, I mean, the only person that is going to take your music as serious as you is the rest of your bandmates and everybody on the outside is, you know, like a- attempting to grow your audience and, you know, work with you from a business perspective, but you have a right to be protective over it. And I think that if you don't do exactly what you did and you put labels not only through the motions of meeting them and you know understanding where they're coming from but then also understanding like what level am i comfortable with mm-hmm. i think that's the you know that that's what exactly what you did and then the rubber hit the road and you're like oh okay like th- i think this is the best partner for us yeah yeah i mean when we met with epitaph it was like oh you have tons of bands i liked i had punko the punko a punko rama cd as a kid like the first of time course. i saw i found out what converge was they had there was a DVD on a Punkorama CD I got at a Target, and I remember putting that in, like watching their live song. Uh, this is like little. This might have been middle school, maybe ninth grade, early high school, and I was like, "Oh, this is what quote unquote underground music is." They're playing in like what looks like a concrete basement thing, and the singer they can't even tell what he's saying. He's squawking, like it's just chaotic. Um, but I was like, "This is." awesome this is cool um they've worked with tons of people that we like whether it's epitaph or anti because they're they're basically the same label it's like different departments in some way i I don't they're they're their offices are in the same building and everything so it was like um oh i love these anti-artists i love these epitaph artists like you know um i think i think when we met brett at epitaph we were very nervous on what to say to him um, cause you know, he's such a figure and I'm like 24, 20, I was like 23, 24. No one knew what to say. And then someone, someone broke the ice with him and just <laughs> said, so what was it like to be on the Tony Hawk soundtrack? And that like, that kind of like broke the ice and he, he was just like, Oh, actually, well, I think I had an advanced copy of the game. My kids, blah, blah, blah. Started talking about that. And that, that, you know, that sort of stuff broke the ice with him. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, that's that. That's, it's really cool that you had that experience. Um, a, a few last things I wanted to hit on was the, uh, like you mentioned previously, you know, you're a, a co-owner of Silver Bullet Studios in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and you, you know, clearly when you have this, you know, ostensibly full-time touring band, you know, as much as you guys can get out there, and then you have this, you know, professional life at home of recording bands there is that idea of uh, pure overexposure where it's like, oh my God, like I can't listen to another riff, like period. <laughs> um, 
you know, how have you kind of navigated that um, world of being able to balance your passion and your creative pursuits and not make it, you know, just a, another day at the shop, so to speak? Um, I think because we'll do like, we tour a lot usually. And then when I'm home, I'm only at the studio. I, I have, there's like, it's like two distinct parts of my brain. So right as I'm about to get tired of one thing, gears get in motion for the other. Um, so it actually keeps me involved constantly and meeting bands through that. So there's tons of bands that I've met through the studio or through world is, you know, sometimes it's a band that we toured with or played shows with that I might end up recording or, um, vice versa. Like, I mean, I've, I've certainly had points of like, you know, a couple or a couple weeks. I'm like, I, I just need to take a break. But I think I just have such a general love for it that it doesn't, that doesn't set in much at all. And both, both are such different realms to me that it keeps me, it keeps me engaged. Um, so I don't get too bored with like one thing or too, too overstimulated, I guess. Um, I mean, with COVID, I definitely was like producing records way more often than when we've been on, oh, you're going to tour for two months, you're home for two weeks, and then you're in Europe for another month and you come back and you're only home for like two months out of the two, three months out of the year. But, um, I don't know. I, it's just, I, I, I definitely have a deep love for it. So I don't, I don't find myself in that predicament too much, but also working with Greg, you know, he, he'll keep me stoked on stuff. You, you know, you, you, when you have someone that you work with and you can collaborate with, even in that realm, if I was just alone, it'd be a pretty lonely thing. Right. Uh, like, because it, it, there's a lot of studios where it's just like, oh, this is like the one person doing the records here. It's like their studio. They might have an assistant, but that's maybe about all it is. But we're both having bands in and working with, there's such varying styles that it's there's always something different there's always something different like i i tend to lean more into usually the more like indie post hard or post hardcore stuff a little bit more than maybe greg will get a lot more heavier bands because he he played in misery signals and he plays in a band called end and he was in shy halud um but I, I think because we work on such a wide variety of styles at the studio that it keeps me, it, it just always keeps me engaged, which also like helps with even world is stuff. I think with our most recent record, there were so many things I was able to draw influence from with bands we worked with. For example, um, okay. I worked with a band fiddlehead. Um, I recorded and mixed their most recent LP between the richness. And I, I mixed a couple other releases for them. But I, I, I wasn't at the helm recording them and stuff. But that, for example, when I was working on that, I was listening to a lot more like Archers of Loaf or Discord Records stuff. Like a lot of bands that they were mentioning, like uh, Pink, like Pinkerton by Weezer or um, uh, just, just more stuff in that realm. Um, so when I was writing certain parts on our record, I had that in my mind. Or we worked with a band called Yashira, um, that's on good fight and they're a lot more inspired by like neurosis and post-metal stuff. So when we were working on the world is record, I had that in my mind as well to like pull influence from a little bit. So there's like all these like varying, varying styles. Like even there's chains. We used chains on a, a song on our new LP called your brain is a rubber made. There's like 
it's like chain hits in a part that sounds kind of like in my mind like neurosis but they were chains that the band yashira got for their record and left at the studio so i was like oh use these on a record it'll be cool like to to include that as a little bit of a layer or um like i worked with a band last year called anxious um last summer and i remember them talking to me about smashing pumpkins a little bit and so on one of our songs uh it's a track two on our lp it's called queen selfie for president there's the song starts with like a hi-hat groove on the on the drums and has like a little bit of a drum machine mixed in with a real drum kit and it's because i was listening to a lot of ni- the song 1979 because i was i was working on one of the lighter songs on um, an LP that I was doing with them. Um, so I, just being able to be around it constantly actually is like helpful. It's like all that stuff, you, you get better at it by being like involved with it to the fullest extent. Like it, you're constantly around it. It's just like practice all the time. Right. Um, well, I'm, it's funny. You're basically ripping yourself off constantly. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But it's, it keeps, it keeps me like in, engaged. Like there's just so many right. things that I'm checking out and like so many bands like tell me what their, their influences are. And I'm like, Oh, well, let me check that out. Oh, I do find that this is, I, I do love this element of this band. That's awesome. Okay. And you know what I mean? Like I, I love the exchange of ideas and with world is it's a, it's a collaborative thing in general. Um, so I, I just love being surrounded by it constantly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the stimulation is able to elicit a lot of different positives out of you rather than feeling, you know, burnt out. And like you said, you know, just being drowning in work and feeling like you, you, there's no inspiration there. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I have, I've had some moments of that, but I, I, I've like, it happens to anyone, but. Um, I think, especially because it took four years between the past two World Is records, um, I feel like had uh, had I not been involved with music stuff as much, and it was just like a side thing for me, uh, maybe I wouldn't have done as well on the record. Um, because I, I feel like when there's bands that have like large gaps of time between records or they do reunions, it's always like, was anyone in that band like involved with stuff still like throughout that, or are they just kind of doing normal life stuff and then they kind of come back to do a record just because right. if that makes sense. Like I, f- I feel like I always have this question of when there's a gap on a band's discography that might be longer than normal. It's like, well, was anyone involved in anything? Was anyone doing anything or is it, are they, were they, were they still involved in, in the practice of songwriting or, um, right. Anything? Did they tap different. out of the? Yeah. Did they tap out of the creative pursuits? Right. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mr. Chris Teddy, for coming on the show, and thank you to Michelle over at Epitaph for bringing the idea to me. Because uh, yeah, I just always appreciate that, and people should they deserve a thank you because they are you know working hard to spread the gospel of these bands. So, anyways, Chris great human being. Check out his new record from The World Is. And next week, I have another. Just, I love when I like look at my upcoming guest list and just look at all the wide, diverse range of musicians from the DIY world that I have on here. Just makes me excited. Emma Ruth Rundle. 
She is a, a solo musician. She also played in Red Sparrows for a minute. Um, and she's just a very prolific and interesting musician. She's been doing her own thing for quite some time. She's been like scoring movies, does a lot of cool, cool stuff, all in the Sargent House family, which I find so cool what they are doing over there. But uh, she had just released a new record. Opportunity came up to speak to her, and I was like, hell yeah, let's dive in. And so uh, we did that. So that's what's up next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. <laughs>